Welcome to Halt the Harm Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Clover. I'm excited to share this episode with you, where I'm joined by Karen Edelstein from Frack Tracker Alliance. Karen started working with Frack Tracker in 2010, before fracking was a common part of the public vocabulary. And during this time, she created dozens of maps that document environmental resources and industry behavior. Maps on geology, water withdrawal, waste transportation, even the movements of public opposition to fracking. Karen says that these maps give us the ability to see the bigger picture of how the oil and gas industry operates, as well as our own efforts to organize and protect our health and the environment. She's passionate about maps because they give us a big picture view. By comparing maps and data, we can discover new trends, even possibilities. So enjoy this episode with Karen Edelstein. Help the Harm podcast. All right. Karen, welcome to Help the Harm podcast. It's it's great to have you here. Well, I'm happy to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me in. Well, we've known each other for a few years. I met you back when we were both involved with Shale Shock Action Alliance started in uh, in 2008. So, yeah, I hope we can we can hear a little bit more about your local work here as well because it was so impactful. But I'd like to start by hearing more about your story and how you got involved with environmental issues. Okay, well, I um, live here outside of Ithaca, New York. I'm a lifelong New York State resident and came to Ithaca for college, not really knowing what I was going to study, um, and quickly got involved in environmental scientists and trained as an aquatic ecologist um, for my undergraduate, and then spent about... Well, a few years after college, I started working as an environmental educator and really um, focused a lot on water quality issues, stream ecology, and the role that people could have both to learn about the world around them through experiential education and also how they could possibly make a difference in um by the decisions and that they that they made in their lives, so that was that was sort of how I got into the environmental world. And then fast forward um, many years later, when I went back to graduate school, I learned more about doing this digital mapping through geographic information systems, and um, a lot of things fell into place after that. Mm-hmm. Were you always interested in in nature and, and ecology, or was that something that happened more when you got into college? I would say, when I think back on it, I was very much interested in nature when I was a young child, Um, and after having some pretty uh, unpalatable experiences in high school science, I decided that I wanted to be an anthropologist when I grew up, and came to college thinking that that was the path that I was going to pursue, Mm. and, and um, changed after a couple of years through a one very revelatory moment um, reading the nature writer Annie Dillard, and it it just took a paragraph and it totally turned my path on its on its head. Do you remember what the paragraph said? I can't quote it exactly, but I um, I was in between semesters and picked up Pilgrim at Tinker Creek from the Alternatives Library at, at Cornell, <laughs> and um, it was a it was. A, I'm trying to think now. It, Annie Dillard was sitting by the edge of a pond, watching um, 
a frog just sitting on a on a rock or on a log or something and as she was watching the frog all of a sudden the the frog started deflating just out of nowhere and she was fascinated by this and the frog just sort of turned into a balloon and sank away and and it at the corner of her eye she saw this giant water bug slinking away and that is an insect which I dealt with a lot when I was teaching stream ecology in subsequent years and it's a predatory bug that injects a an enzyme into its prey and sucks the juices out it's kind of like you know almost like science fiction when you um you know when you think about the process of it but I thought that was so extraordinary and a a little a little gory kind of ghoulish for the season now um but it just was such a different world. I wanted to, I was just so hungry for more of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, that's what drew you into stream ecology. It did. Yeah. And, uh, wow. Which is, which is connected to what we're dealing with now. I exactly. Think. Yeah, exactly. And so what was it about maps that got you excited? Um, I think what I what I loved about mapping when I started to learn how to do this, and this is all for for your listeners. This is not hand drawn maps; these are maps that are done on the on the computer um, that have a rich database behind them that allows for analysis to happen. Um, I I got interested in mapping as a way of um, facilitating land conservation and helping communities grapple with questions of what lands might be the the optimal ones to protect because of different different features different um values that the both the community and the ecological um nature of the of that properties might have so i did um one of the first jobs that i had out of grad school doing doing mapping was working for uh, a regional land trust hmm. and took that organization from just very sketchy paper hand-drawn maps to a really vast library of um of maps that are to this day used in every aspect of the organization and i realized at that point that every story every um every controversy every almost every decision that we make is about something to do with a place and maps are a great way for learning more about that right it gives you a big picture view it does so you can contextualize something that's happening like you can see something's happening here and then on a map you can see how it's not necessarily an isolated incident or you know how it all ties together right exactly and one of the the beauties in gis or geographic information systems is that you can take multiple um, types of data, multiple layers, and see how they intersect or interact with each other. And so one piece of information in a vacuum may not tell you the entire story, but when you start to see how um, how that may be impacted by or impact other aspects of the, the natural or built environment around, then that's where the, the, the real story comes about and i i can give you numerous examples of of 
how that's happened in the work I do with Frack Tracker. Yeah, and I'd love to hear about that and also how some of the maps that you've worked on have contributed to um, the movement to protect ourselves from the fracking industry, uh, either you know in this region, because I know that you're working in this region, but also in, in other places too. I'd love some examples. Sure. Well, um, one of the, the maps that I think that I've probably become most well-known for with Frack Tracker in, in New York State, at least, is something that happened purely by accident um, back in 2011 when people were just really starting to understand what was going on with land leasing and um, the potential for fracking happening right here in central New York and other places in the southern tier. Um, I started mapping the communities that had expressed a desire to ban fracking or those at that time very few of the communities that had actually um, legislated bans prohibitions or moratoria against fracking and one of those alone is really impressive because it takes a lot to move a community and educate a community so that they would pass legislation but when it becomes a pattern and we start seeing a pattern on a map of communities changing. Not only um, does it say a lot for what's going on in general, but there's something happening in the background there that's communities feeling empowered by each other's steps that they're taking forward. And it became, um, it it gathered so much momentum over the the three or so years um, before New York State got a ban. Um, It was really sort of like a tsunami. It was was really exponential um, progress that happened after after not very mm-hmm. long, and a lot of people said that the map that I was making and updating sometimes two and three times a week really gave them a sense of um, of of power and courage to move forward that it was the right thing to do mm-hmm. so that was that was a, um, a that was really a great project, and I was really thrilled when um Health Commissioner Howard Zucker from from New York State made the announcement um, detailing why New York State DEC had decided to New York State DEC and Cuomo, along with the Health Department, had decided to to go with this ban on fracking. One of the the pieces of information that he cited was the patterns that he was seeing on the maps that I made and. Hmm. One story at a time doesn't give that picture, but putting them all together seemed to have really swayed um, history at that time. Yeah, it's, it's amazing co- to think about how oftentimes working in small organizations or small communities, it can feel a little lonely. It's hard to know, really, if there's many other people out there like us. Um, that's something that I've experienced and I've heard from other people too, is just, it's hard to feel connected even with all the tools that we have at our disposal, like the internet and all that kind of stuff. But, um, so networks like Halt the Harm Network is a way for people to connect, but then also being able to see on a map, like, wow, like we're not alone. There's all these other places that are passing moratoriums or they're passing legislation or working on bans. Yeah, that's, I I remember because that's how I first met you is when I was involved with 
local organizing around here and I saw the map that you created and it was just like, whoa, <laughs> perspective, right? Yeah, it was, a, it, it just felt like such a, a privilege to be in the right place at the right time. And to, I think everybody has skills that they can bring to any current issue or need. And it happened that I just had the the right set at that, at that moment. And hopefully since then have been able to to build on that. I'll give you I'll give you an example of um how disparate pieces of information some kind sometimes can come together to tell a different story. Ar- around the time when um fracking was looking like it was going to take off and landsmen were crawling all over the countryside trying to get leases on property um potentially to drill. I was helping an organization um, to collect lease lease data and ended up mapping leases for a, about a 14-county area. Um, a citizens' Campaign for the Environment was the, the group. And so I had a lot of this information and was very interested in what was going on locally in the town of Lansing, where, in New York, where I live. And so I started mapping, I, I started looking more carefully at who you know, where the properties were that had decided to, to lease and happened at that time to be also um, for a completely different project, mapping out the footprint for the Cargill salt mine and happened to have had those two pieces of information open at the same time. And I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. Why don't I just check and see who's leased their land over the footprint of the Cargill salt mine. And while the Marcellus Shale is closer to the surface than they're drilling, um, than they're mining for the salt, the Utica is actually below where the salt mine was. And sure enough, I discovered that there were property owners who had been allowed to lease the mineral rights underneath their, their, their homes which mineral rights, which actually didn't even belong to them, that were actually owned by the salt company and had drilling gone ahead, there was a potential that gas drilling might have punctured through into the into the salt mine. So there was a whole other story that wow. that taking two very separate pieces of information but putting them together spatially, because every story is about a place... Mm-hmm. Um, led to a whole other, a whole other line of inquiry. Wow, that's really interesting. So, in in places where fracking is already happening and the impacts are already being felt, is there a way that mapping, you know, how can how can using maps and how can mapping help people protect themselves further? from the harms. Well, I've I've worked with a number a number of different projects um not only with where fracking is happening, I would say less so where fracking is happening actively now, but more where fracked gas pipelines are going through communities and in a similar way to how mapping the places those communities that had passed resolutions or moratoria or or outright bans um, I'm doing some similar things along the pipeline routes so that communities along what sometimes are, are routes of hundreds of miles 
can um, it's it, it's a way of building alliances between those communities to see where along that linear stretch um, of infrastructure communities are actually in um, in agreement with with opposition. So that's that's a one big thing that that um, mapping is being used for right now. Also, um, as pipelines are being proposed in different communities. Sometimes they don't have the local mapping support to do their own environmental reviews or environmental impact statements. And so I've come in uh, on some occasions and helped these communities to map out, say, that where the stream crossings might be, where pipelines are, des- are, are proposed to go, or where the wetlands are. And to be able to quantify that, then that allows those communities to speak out more forthrightly about why the, what their concerns are based on not just out of uh, emotion which is a powerful a powerful thing to bring to um to decision makers but also to bring factual um biological and ecological information to um to the table mm-hmm. yeah i can see how it would be useful if i heard about a pipeline coming through my community and was able to see the bigger picture of all the other places that that pipeline would go through because then I would know the entire big picture of other communities that are also impacted that I could reach out to, that I could pay attention to, to see what they're doing, to see what's working and not working. It just provides so much information to look at it in context. And maybe this sounds like a no-brainer, but I guess I'm just sort of putting my finger on it to say, like, that's awesome. Well, I think with the you know with the bands and moratoria map, one of the things that I was able to do because the maps are fully interactive and online, I could include links to the the actual ban language, and so that would allow communities to either adapt or or borrow um, language right. to to craft their own legislation. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to the, what you mentioned about um, helping people in a town use mapping to get data that they can present to decision makers. Can you share a specific example about that or like how that process worked? Well, because I'm thinking like, what if you know, what if someone's listening to this and they think, like, wow, I could do that. You know, where where would they go for? for more information or how would they get started? I would say that, that uh, communities have contacted me directly. So right now there's um, a side, there's a, a lateral pipeline to the um, Algonquin incremental, incremental market pipeline. Um, this one not in New York. This is going through a suburb outside of Boston. And because I've got a presence to a greater or lesser degree online from from Frack Tracker, I got a cold call from somebody who had been following our our Facebook feed or Twitter feed, or had look, just looked at our website, and that has that has now led to a, you know a relationship building and a lot of education for me also to see what's going on in in that particular community because it's not always. Um, 
it's not always just ecological issues. Sometimes there are archaeological issues, um, either colonial or, in this case, um, Native American ruins that may be being disrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, you know, we've seen that time and again that companies, um, industry will sometimes either try to sidestep um, cultural um, preservation issues or or just not or just not ask the question so that they even bring that into the you know into the discussion so that's that's one small community um project that I'm doing uh, I'm also working with a group um <coughs> excuse me I'm also worth working with a group in Canada who's looking at impacts of the um the light Bakken crude that's coming on freight lines through numerous, uh, you know, hundreds of cities across the U.S. Um, and in Canada. And in this particular instance, I'm mapping not only the blast zone of a half a mile and a mile along the railroad tracks where if a, a light crude carrying train derailed, that would either um, an area that would either be evacuated or potentially in the blast zone of something much worse, Um, And then looking at where the schools and hospitals are along those routes in these major cities um, to allow those communities to really start addressing risk in a a, a more concrete way. People Mm -hmm. are are afraid, naturally, of what may happen if one of these these so-called bomb trains derails because we've seen we've seen that in you know in real time both in derailments in the US and then in in Lake Megantic mm-hmm. in Canada um yeah but this is a way of of communities actually starting to quantify the the risk i'm also mapping um using canadian data I'm mapping the rail the road crossings so are those trains going un- through underpasses are they at grade or are they in overpasses and that also to put all of that together on one map is a, a um, is a, a a piece of 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 taking on power. Mm-hmm. It's cool too going to Frack Tracker's website fracktracker.org and seeing all the resources that are available. I feel I wish that Frack Tracker was as established as it is now. <laughs> back when when I was first learning about oil and gas drilling. Um, because this is incredible. I mean, just going to the website and you click on resources and you have, you have everything. You have like oil and gas drilling 101. You have an entire collection of free photos of drilling and related activity that you can use. There's an app where you can actually, it's a mapping app that you can have on your smartphone where you can submit photos and information about oil and gas incidents. Um, there's the Alliance map where you can find other groups working on issues. And there's even a guided tour on how the maps work. So it's it's about as like organized and user-friendly a website as... <laughs> well, it's glad incredible. To, I'm yeah. glad to hear that. And, and of course, this is not just me working for Frack Tracker. We have staff in Pennsylvania and in D.C., in Ohio, um, in California... And everybody who's working for Frack Tracker is taking on 
the issues of oil and gas development from a slightly different angle. So in in Ohio, for example, our staff person is spending a tremendous amount of time looking at frack sand mining in, in the upper Midwest and the impacts of that um, ecologically and on water quality. Um, our staff person in California is looking at uh, the, the the massive oil fields there, and um, particularly looking at issues of environmental justice, um, which I think is starting to come into our work more and more because the um, oil and gas is not distributed um, homogeneously across the country. They're, the communities that are impacted tend to be targeted more um, if there's a perception that they don't have the resources to um, to fight back or, or um, coordinate data. And so we, we try to be uh, aware of that and also put information out um, to make it available to communities. Mm-hmm. It's just like what you said before, like looking at different sets of data, you know, in layers, you know, right. where is this happening? Who, who is it impacting? Who is it not impacting? Where are those lines being drawn? Um, yeah, this, this is a, an incredible resource. So it sounds like, like folks can reach out to you. Um, fracktracker.org also has a place where you can get help that you can contact fracktracker directly through their website. Anything else that you want to share with anybody listening that's involved with organizing around oil and gas issues? I would just say uh, you know, nobody, no one group can go it alone. And the real strength of Frack Tracker is, you know, our, our our second name, which is which is Alliance. And because we are really um, not in the business necessarily as being activists ourselves. We are the we are the a group that will pull data together and help forward the causes of other groups that may not have access to those types of analytical resources. So it gives me great pleasure to be contacted by other groups. Um, we're, we're doing a tremendous amount of work right now with Sane Energy, um, building the second version of of the UR here map, for example, mapping different um, infrastructure of fracking and, and oil and gas development across not just New York now, but also across Pennsylvania. And it would be great if we have a chance to do that for the entire country, but it's a huge project and it takes, it takes uh, groups of people who all have their, their eyes peeled for, impacts that are happening and their ears to the ground and who are hooked into other sources of information that we as a small not-for-profit may not necessarily have. So that's what made the band map happen was people contacting me and setting up those types of networks. And that's, that's what's making the you are here map work. That's what's making really all of our work happen is because we've got local contacts and local expertise, and then we can bring our, skills to bear to move some of those stories forward you're you're bringing together a lot of the information organizing and presenting it but you really depend on people reaching out to you and contributing we definitely do yeah 
tell us a little bit more about the You Are Here map before we wrap up. Okay. I'd love to hear about So the You Are Here map was based on the idea that everybody almost everywhere has has got a story to tell about how they are being impacted by oil and gas and whether they're living along a pipeline route or a proposed pipeline route and they've had for example as what happened with the constitution pipeline they had their their livelihood destroyed because the pipeline came through and cut down their stands of maple trees, so they no longer had their maple syrup operation, or they're being impacted by fumes, or they're being impacted by their water source being destroyed. There is a personal story everywhere. Um, And what you are here did very, very effectively in the first version of the map a couple of years ago was connect people and places where fracking infrastructure, those sacrifice zones, which are really so many different places, um, where that was all happening. And when we when we updated the UR Here map, we changed it to a story map format, which is got, it has a lot more rich media in it. It has embedded videos. It's got very personal stories, um, and also a main map that now, as I said, covers both New York and Pennsylvania, showing the proposed pipeline routes, the pipelines that are um, cutting across communities actively right now, where some of the the rail yards are, where the disposal sites are, um, because we're getting we're still getting tens of thousands of tons of fracking waste cuttings shipped um, primarily to the Shemung landfill here in New York State. So the impacts, even if fracking is happening hundreds of miles away, we still, in a sense, are being fracked here because the pipelines are coming through, the methane leakage is happening here, our water may be impacted, people's jobs are being impacted, and that's what you are here is is doing, is putting a human face on this so-called bridge fuel, which we all know now is, is not. Um, so that's mainly what we're, what we're doing with, with, um, with the, you are here project. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. And I, I hope we can get some, some folks from the sane energy project on the show as well. Oh, next time, next time they're in town, they love coming up here. Great. I do want to say, um, because you did touch on the the issue of our the uh, mobile app that we're doing, the yeah. the second um, really snazzy version of that is going to be released sometime I think before the end of the year, and the mobile app, as you said, allows people to use their their cell phone to take pictures, to mark places, um, and then submit their stories about what they're seeing out in the field, whether it's something as egregious as a spill or if they are seeing a whole um, caravan of fracking trucks coming through their town and they want to document that or oil trains that are coming through. Um, there's a lot of different impacts that can be uh, that that can be captured through this app that is then going to feed back into a back into a database and then be 
be mapped. So it's going the the new version of the app is going to allow for a tremendous amount of customization. It's going to be very intuitive, icon driven. Um, but if anyone's interested in downloading the the app now, it's just um, type in Frack Tracker either to iTunes or to the the Android uh, Google Store, and mm-hmm. you can you can download that. It has a um, a base map of um, satellite imagery and all of the 1.7 million wells that are in the United States right now are should be on that. Wow, that's that's really cool, and it connects to episode four of the podcast when we talked to Mike Younger who did the backwoods pipeline surveys. So Mike actually in Tennessee, rural Tennessee, went around uh, documenting exposed pipes and corrosion and a number of problems. And he was just out with his digital camera and like, you know, regular, regular maps, you know, taking pictures and compiling data. And um, if you, if you go back and listen to episode four, you can hear about the impact that that had. He was actually able to get a congressman on board. He was able to get, uh, tons of attention and actually costing the the industry hundreds of thousands of dollars in like upgrades and and um you know all all sorts of stuff because they were just in the spotlight all the problems with their pipelines was was were being brought up and documented and you know that was without this kind of a tool and now we have a tool that we can use to submit this data and compile it through frack tracker so this is this is exciting. I'm excited because Mike got me really inspired to turn like a weekend hiking into like kind of a not not to like not to trivialize the issue of like finding environmental problems because it, it is really horrifying. But it's uh, but instead of just you know going out hiking, like grabbing a map and finding where pipelines cross streams and finding you know old wells that you know, from 30 years ago or something like that. And then being like, let's go hike out to these places and just see what's going on there and take some pictures and make sure that everything looks good because, you know, what comes up over and over again is that these things aren't being properly regulated and they're not being watched and there isn't the the funding or the staff or the, or it's just not happening very much on purpose, but either way, um, we have the ability to play that role and go and check on these things ourselves, And we don't just have to wait for some official person or agency to do that. And actually we can't because we're finding out that we can't expect those um, institutions to protect us and to, you know, regulate this industry that we have to do it. So yeah, thanks to Frack Tracker and everybody that's making this type of tools available for us to use right but let's actually use them yeah let's use them and let's i think that we we all have the 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 goal in mind in a way of working ourselves out of a job because if we can keep this stuff in the ground and have this not be an issue in the first place that would be the most beautiful future that we can have but in the meantime um when there are organizations like frack tracker and many others that can come forward and move citizen science forward to move public education forward, to to move advocacy forward, and 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 really fire up citizenry to become engaged. That's mm-hmm. that's 
the best thing I think that we can that we can hope for, and we're trying to bring those bring those tools to the public to make them available so people can be active citizens. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Karen. And I'm going to compile everything that we talked about into the show notes so everybody will be able to go um, check out the show notes to this episode, however you're listening to it. If you're listening on your phone or if you're online, the show notes are, are there and all the links to everything we talked about, fracktracker.org, the the you are here map the 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 app you know all these things are are right there well thanks so. so much for helping to promote it and i just want to make sure that people know frack tracker is f r a c t r a c k e r awesome all right have a good day thanks Brian. i hope you enjoyed this episode of halt the harm podcast Check out the show notes at haltthaharm.buzzsprout.com or at ecodefenseradio.org. And I'll see you next week for Halt the Harm podcast. Mm-hmm.